Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of the Ashes Central podcast. In fact, the last episode that will be known under this episode uh, under this podcast title because the Ashes are over. Of course, Australia with a 4 to nothing series win, winning in Brisbane by 9 wickets, winning in Adelaide by 275 runs, winning in Melbourne by an innings and 14 runs, drawing um, with the English uh, in Sydney and then 146 run win in Hobart to cap off, as I mentioned, that four to nothing win, identical um, scoreline to the last time England toured here in 2017-18. This is our series recap. We've got the full game here. Uh, Vass, Ethan, uh, not Timothy, that's what it says on his Zoom account, Pearson <laughs> and Teddy um, uh, with us. We're going to start, gentlemen, general thoughts um, on the series. Uh, you know, what were we expecting? Did what happened kind of conform with our expectations uh, and what to think going forward? We're going to start with you on this one, Prabs, then to Teddy and to finish with this. Oh, it was an interesting series. I think it went the way most people thought it would go and that Australia dominated most periods of that, that series. I think England come out with that draw as the sort of shining light, but um, the overwhelming message is that, you know, they were what they played pretty poor cricket and Australia surprisingly were, were pretty on song. I think there was questions before the series about whether they'd be able to, you know, play high quality cricket given the break. Um, but yeah, I think it was very impressive from Australia and pretty underwhelming for England overall. I think um, one thing that sums it up pretty well is that the series the series started by an English batsman walking across his stumps, exposing two of them and getting bowled, and the series ended by an English batsman walking away from his stumps, exposing three and getting bowled. And I think that sums up England series right there. Yeah, I would have to mostly agree with Ethan on that one. I think coming into the series, there were, you know, perhaps equal questions uh, on, on for both sides. Um, as Ethan said, Australia not having played for quite a while and coming off of a loss against India. But I think the biggest takeaway after the series is that, you know, England's planning that they've supposedly been doing for the last few years, the batting order that they've been trying to work out with Sibley and Pope, Sibley not even in the team, Burns, all these players who were supposed to be, you know, their hope and the backbone of, of their team. They're just not up to it at all. Um, they basically need a complete restart with their batting lineup. Um, so only more questions have come out for England uh, and for Australia, you know, our bowling lineup, we showed the depth with, with eight bowlers plus Cam Green, all being super impressive uh, and, and getting the job done. Yeah, I must admit, I had to count the eight in my head there for confirmation. It is weird, seven seamers plus Nathan Lyon, for those thinking at home. So it, it's, I thought I agree with the sentiments meant, taken from both Ethan and Ted here. I think if there's one thing to take away from the series, it was a poor side playing a good side, and that poor side made that good side look a great side, I think is pretty much how it went. I don't think either side is without fault, I think. Australia are in a much better place than England are. And I think the series pretty much proved that. I think arguably the whole of 2021 through that, I think we saw England lose a lot of games all year and that continued by losing in the ashes. And we saw Australia not have to worry and improve and step up their game for an ashes series that they very comprehensively won. In all honesty, should have been 5-0 if not for a lucky bit of rain in Sydney. Yeah, I mean, there's a famous saying by a, a football coach over in the United States. They are who we thought they were. 
And that's pretty much exactly where the England. What did we think about them when they came over to start the series? They were a one-man band from as far as batting was concerned. And did we see anyone really make good runs apart from Root um, in this series? No, we thought they don't know how to play in Australian conditions. I mean, aside from 2010-11, they haven't won here in, in donkey's years. What happened? That's exactly what happened. We thought, will the bowling rotation work? No, we don't think so. They don't have someone like Archer, who was a real menace in the last series. Um, and they weren't able to, I think on one test, they took 20 wickets. Um, that was obviously the last test in Hobart. Um, Pearson has been fond of saying on this podcast that it's the worst English side that's to it. And it's also, I think you said, the worst Australian side, excusing 2010-11. Um, and that could certainly be true. What I would say is that the fact that it's 4-0 and it was 4-0 in 2017-18, the gap between the sides back then, I don't think that's changed very much. I think it's still a similar sort of gap. Um, and that's why we saw the same result um, in this series. But as Pearson does say, a bit of lucky, a bit of lucky rain. This could have been 5-0 and then we might be comparing this to the 2013-14 series um, in terms of a crushing defeat. Okie dokie. What we're going to, um, what we've got planned for today, we're going to go through uh, all the Australian players who played at least two tests. Um, and we're each going to give our rankings out of 10 for their performances. Um, if we agree, we don't need to go into it. If we disagree, which I've got a feeling we will on at least a few players, we can go into it um, briefly. We're going to take a look back at our predictions before the series, <laughs> not in depth because they uh, weren't that successful. Uh, despite the fact that, I mean, everything pretty much happened as we expected it to from, from a general perspective and onto the English team. And then uh, maybe some guys, maybe some good call, bad call to finish up. Okay. We begin the Australia player ratings with David Warner played all five test matches with eight innings, 273 runs at 34.12, high score of 95. A couple of 90s in there. Wasn't able to convert them to any tons. Uh, same order. We go Prabs, then Teddy, then to Pearson. Uh, how do we rate David Warner's Ashes series? I thought it was uh, pretty average. I've given him a, a six out of 10. I think numbers alone, 34, seems pretty underwhelming, but relative to everyone, it was sort of maybe just above average which is why i've gone with six um but yeah would have loved a couple of those 90s to go to a 100 and he did tail off at the end of the series so that those influenced my score i i had a six as well um you know it would have been good for him to have come out with a century but he had some crucial partnerships in the first two games 165 run stand with labashane and then a 480 ball stand in adelaide um that sort of set the tone for the series even if he trailed off after that Incredibly, I, the Englishman, had David Warner, the villain, at seven, higher than both of you. I thought he wasn't brilliant, but relative to most of the batsmen across this series, he was one of the better ones. He finished the series in the top four run scorers. He was, re at least for the first two tests, he was very good. And I think he deserves some credit for the way he was able to set the tone in the first couple of sessions at Brisbane. So seven for me. I was all ready to say straight sixes all round, but uh, that's not the case. I am going with six. Um, I agree with the other two. I think even one of those into 100 probably does push him up into that seven uh, range, but recency bias, that pair in Hobart certainly sticks in the mind. Yeah, okay, about let's... The pair. I'll drop into six too. Forgot about <laughs> oh, that. here we go. One. Marcus Harris. Consensus. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Let's move to Marcus Harris. Four tests played, seven innings, 179 runs at 29.83. A high score of 76, of course, was dropped for Usman Khawaja in that final match. It was one of the real talking points on this podcast, really, throughout the entire series. Uh, let's go, gentlemen. Uh, rating for Marcus Harris. 
Well, I think this is actually a, an underrated series for Harris. I mean, people remember him as having just being useless and then getting dropped by Kawaja. But look, he averages 30 and one averages 34. Um, I've given him a four out of 10 just because it was poor, but it's not as bad as people think. Uh, the 76 in Melbourne was, was very good. I'm giving him a five, uh, a pass. Uh, I, I think he, he showed a few signs of improvement and development and hope for the future, uh, especially in the last couple of innings he played. Yeah, I also gave him a five. I thought he was awful in the first two tests, but I think he deserves a five purely because he was one of the key figures in winning you that Melbourne test in getting you to an 85-run lead that somehow was enough to win by an innings. And he looked comfortable despite never converting into a big innings in Sydney. So I think five is about right. I'm not sure that was pivotal in winning the test. It was over an innings win, but I, I grasped the point, yes. Um, I'm going with four, and I think that's generous, to be honest. Um, 13, what's that? 14 test matches played now. 26 innings does not have a ton. 350s, uh, and what's that? Average 25.29. I do wonder how much longer of a leash he will get. It's been much longer than we've seen with some other openers. Um, recently in the Australian lineup. Uh, moving on next, Marnus Labashain, someone who many of us, I guess, predicted um, perhaps being the man of the series. He wasn't in the end. He did finish seconds in the run tally, three, three, five runs in the five series, nine innings, an average of 41.87, uh, and that one century, 103. Um, perhaps how are we looking for Marnus Labashain? I was tossing up between seven and eight, and I ended up going with eight. I think he started the series very strongly, dominated Jack Leach, got 100 in Adelaide, um, and I think the first three or four innings uh, past 50 in all of them. And he finished it off with a, an impressive 40-odd in, in Hope Up before he fell over and got bowled. Um, again, underwhelming considering the stats, but again, he's the second highest run scorer. So I've gone with eight for that reason. I'm going seven, pretty similar to Warner, set the tone for the series. Uh, but then getting the century has to put him above water. Yeah, I, I went eight for me. I think he was that touch better than Warner. And I think the plaudits he receives are pretty much the same as Warner, who I gave as a seven. But he hit that century, which I think boosts him that little bit higher. We saw he was key in changing momentum in Hobart. He was your best batsman across the first two tests. He was key in setting the tone in Brisbane. And he, of course, scored the century in Adelaide. So I think an eight as one of the best batsmen of the series is a fair score. Tossing up with this one, I will go eight um, and, and leave, I think, Teddy there as the, the lone man out there. Um, it was a really tough one, but when you think, who are the batsmen better than him in this series? And, I mean, obviously, Tra Travis Head will get onto him. You think, are there any others that can be better? So it's really would be harsh to put him any lower than an eight. Um, obviously the one century, but compared to the lofty expectations we've had from him in previous series, um, this didn't quite match that, but very interested to see how he performs um, on the subcontinent in the upcoming series. Okay, uh, Stephen Smith is up next five games, eight innings, 244 runs at uh, an even, oh, sorry, 30.50, high score of 93. Another one uh, who did not, uh, uh, you know, score a century in the series. Um, perhaps we're going with Stephen Smith. I've given him a three. I think it's been Australia's biggest failure of the entire series. Uh, he does average more than Harris, but considering his standard and, and his ceiling, I think it's massively underwhelming. No century and a, a 30 average. So, yeah, I've, I've given him a three. I'm giving him a four. Uh, a couple of, of pretty good innings, including the 93 in Adelaide. But similar to Labashain, a concerning thing was the nature of his dismissals. He almost 
seems to have been worked out to an extent um, in how they're bowling with him uh, in the last few innings. So going forward, there's questions over whether he can whether he can get back to the the great form that we know of him. Yeah, I, I'll add to the dissensus here and go for a five to go for three different ratings so far. I think three is incredibly harsh. I think he was, by his own standards, very poor. And I think to some degree he has been technically found out over the last couple of years. But I think we also saw a very capable 93. We saw him predominantly go out to good deliveries, apart from that last shot in Hobart, which was particularly bad. And I thought he still offered some degree of stability. He's also fairly dependable for his leadership skills alongside Cummins as a vice captain and was a fairly effective slipper. So I'm happy to give him a five. I think English batsmen are going to be worse and I'm not dishing out zeros. So I have to put a benchmark at five for the worst Australian performer. Pearson's, Pearson's like the midget who thinks everyone else is a giant just because England's so bad. He thinks everyone It has to be Performance has to be rated relative to others. And yeah, I yeah, don't well, think he was as bad relative to the other 11 on the opposite. Yeah, it's team. interesting. We didn't really clarify whether it was based on what we expected based on previous series or based on how everyone else performed, which I think is probably a clear clarification because I went for also based on, uh, I guess, what we've expected. Um, it's funny. We gave like, Labashan five higher in the rankings. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. What I would say is that you know, my only fear with Smith, I mean, one century in 2021 against India, that was at the SCG before that 2019. Um, so I just hope he doesn't end up in one of these Virat Kohli, not to upset our Indian fans, but one of these <laughs> Virat Kohli streaks without scoring a ton. Because, um, I mean, even someone like Pearson, who doesn't like the Aussies at the best of times, keeps mentioning his best badsman since Bradman for the Australians. So I hope he can um, find some more some more form and some more centuries. Back like he was in the 2019 Ashes so we can fully justify um, uh, that phrase, I guess. Uh, moving tough, on to... The tough batting conditions have to be taken into account also for all of these too, so... That is very true, yes. Um, Man of the series next, Travis Head. Four matches, six innings, 357 runs. That led the series um, by some 22 over minus Levashane. An average of 59.50. Of course, that 152 and a couple of centuries alongside 150. Expecting high numbers here. Perhaps we'll start with you, Travis Head. Yep, 9 out of 10 for me. I think it was a massively impressive series from Head. He came in with selection pressure and he wiped it away in one inning for the 152. Um, very impressive 100 in the final test in Hobart. Um, I guess if he had contributed more perhaps in the Melbourne test, then it would have been a 10, but I think 9's a, a fair call. Yeah, I'm going to 9. I was almost about to say a 10, but probably the, the one blip in Melbourne probably brings him down that, that smidgen. I don't think any player can be perfect, so I'm not willing to give out a 10 either. So I'll stick with a 9. I think he was excellent. He was man of the series, so someone has to get a 9, and I think it's him. And he probably doesn't get a 10 by virtue of some poor dismissals and not particularly in Hobart kicking on his 101 into 150 or a winning score. So 9. Yeah, well, I don't know what I mean about winning score at Hobart. <laughs> Look at the result they did win. But um, what I would suggest is that I was also going for a nine. That innings at Hobart was uh, one of the more enjoyable I've seen at the test level um, in quite a long time. Teddy mentioned tough batting conditions. Well, um, for the most part, he didn't appear phased by them. Uh, I'd have to agree nine. Um, and the closest I think we'll see 
uh, in this entire podcast to a 10. Okay, next up, Usman Khawaja. Um, only played the two tests and scored the bulk of his runs in the one test. 255 of them uh, at 85 with a high score of 137. Of course, those twin tons in the New Year's Day test at Sydney. Perhaps, uh, Usman Khawaja. I think this is uh, just the hardest one to score because he had one great test, which is probably a 10 with his two magnificent tons. And then he had Hobart where he didn't pass 10 and he was absolutely useless. Um, I think considering that he's going to be opening the batting in the future for Australia, I've, I've sort of settled in the, in the middle and gone with a, a seven. I think he looked very good at five, but I have a little faith in him at the top of the order. Yeah, I, I have, have an eight, and I thought that was that was going to be low. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with, with Prabs on that one. It was an absolutely, you know, the two two of the best innings you ever see um, in Test cricket in Sydney. But, really, the reality is the questions still remain about his ability uh, at the top of the order when the ball's moving also. So, you know, it's still he hasn't done a huge amount for his chances of consistently getting picked despite the two great innings. Yeah, Kawaja batted like a typical Kawaja. So I'll, I'll, I was debating between a seven and an eight, and I think I have to give him a seven as well. I thought clearly he was excellent in Sydney, but it is to some degree moderated by the fact it was the flattest wicket of the entire series and Australia didn't win. And I would then look at the next test to further moderate it and say he failed twice and there were clear technical issues exposed in that first and second innings at Hobart in which he clearly stood far too front on for far too much, which is why I don't think I can keep him at an eight despite that brilliant Sydney test. So I'll stick to a seven. Eight's over here. Uh, I would say this is one of these occasions where I think I have to admit that, that Pearson was right. We were often debating whether or not Kawaja could slot into that opener's spot and have success as he had in the past on the subcontinent in particular. So let's remember that, as you said, he will likely go on to open the side in some of these tours. But we certainly did say uh, see the big difference. And yes, you have to say the pitchers, the two different pitchers in Sydney and Hobart did play into this, but he clearly looked a lot more troubled. Um, yes, under the lights again, the day-night test is a factor um, up the top of the order. So very interested to see um, how he will go um, in these uh, overseas tours coming up later on this year. Um, Cameron Green is a very interesting one with me. We're going to um, this is the last kind of batsman, obviously an all-rounder. With the bat, um, five matches, eight innings, 228 runs at 32.57. So kind of just above that Stephen Smith level there. Uh, a high score of 74. The two half tons um, had a duck in there. And then with the ball, uh, obviously uh, bowling all 10 of the innings, uh, 13 wickets. Uh, for 205 runs at an average of 15.76, a coming of age, you would have to say, in this series for Cameron Green. Perhaps what have you got him ranked as? I feel like this might be the controversial one, but I put an eight for Green. I think uh, his batting started off pretty pretty poor. Uh, there's one stat that says, like, after Ricky Ponting recommended the technical change, I think he averaged 46.5 with the bat. I'm not throwing any weight to that, but he did seem to improve at the series and obviously massive, massively impressive with the ball, especially after last summer against India. So eight for me. Well, he was actually quoted as saying that he actually listened to Ricky Ponting and he's one of the few people in the media he would listen to in something like that. So yeah, certainly a point there. Teddy? Yeah, Ethan and I are agreeing a lot today, but I'd have to go an eight also. We all know that he has some technical difficulties um, with uh, his stance being being too open you know being a bit tentative at the start of his innings but I think he, he worked through them and he showed signs that he can 
you know, perform at the test level. And he showed the shot making he's got also. Plus, with the ball, I don't think anyone could have expected him to be as damaging as he was, being a strike bowler at, at times throughout the series. I'll, I'll, I'll put a dampener on proceedings, albeit only slightly, and give him a seven. I thought his bowling was excellent and probably worthy of a nine, but I thought that was balanced out by a pretty poor showing with the bat overall until those later two innings in Sydney and Hobart. I thought particularly in the first three tests, he looked a walking wicked at times. I'm still not convinced he can face high quality bowling on a good length round off stump. But when you pitch it wider, he clearly does eat into poor bowling. So I think a nine for bowling and five for batting does even itself off nicely to being a seven overall. Right, look, now Pearson and me agreeing here, I'm going hey, with a seven. Good job. And I don't need to explain it because he's done a pretty good job of it there. Okay, uh, obviously we now enter the, the bowling domain. Oh, excuse me, we don't. I forgot about poor old Alex Carey, although many would have forgotten after the series he had. Um, Alex Carey obviously making his debut five uh, matches, nine innings, 183 runs at 20.33, a high score of 51, uh, the 150 there, and a duck. Now we talked a bit about the keeping deficiencies. What do we think of his first uh, innings with the bat? Uh, first series, excuse me, with the bat. I uh, had pretty much bang, bang average for Kerry. I gave him a five. I thought his, his batting was mediocre. He looked compact in defence, but you know he, he fell to loose shots a lot of the time. He had a valuable 40 in, in Hobart, and he had a 50 as well. Um, Keeping-wise, I thought it was, it was pretty good for the most part. You know, there were a couple, a couple of chances that went down over the course of the series, but um, I think I thought he was pretty tidy overall, so that's why I've gone with five. Yeah, Kerry's a five, uh, you know, about as it's a difficult coming in as a keeper in the first series, both behind the stumps and, you know, finding uh, your role with the bat. And apart from that test in Sydney, which was pretty poor, really, he looks like he's got the temperament to be uh, a keeper, both behind the stumps and with the bat. Yeah, I, I was slightly more kind on him and gave him a six. I thought his keeping overall was clean. It did have some errors, but l by and large, it was quite well done from him. I thought his batting was compact. I thought, particularly in the first three tests, despite not having any massive run output, he looked much more comfortable than Cam Green and Marcus Harris, the other two that I graded a five with the bat in this series. And <laughs> I thought that innings in Hobart was critical to them setting a total over 200 and not having to put particularly defensive fields out in that fourth innings. I think you only being defending 180 had he failed, it could have been a very different test match to defending 270. So I think six is a fair mark. I'm going to go back on five. I'm just remembering uh, Pearson saying it was after the four tests, to be fair, before Hobart that um, Joss Butler had, had a better series than Alex Carey. So I'm expecting to see a higher score than the six there for Joss Butler. Um, when we get to him, I'm going to go five and agree with um, Prabs and Teddy on this. Bang average, um, certainly not what we saw. I mean, I mean, I liken it to Tim Payne's uh, series last time over here in the Ashes. Didn't really do anything to blow me away um, compared to, as we know, Brad Haddon's series in 2013-14, um, which was, which was pretty Incredibly harsh on Tim Payne. Who averaged no, 40 with the bat, which was double give, what Carey averaged in that give last me this, Ashes. Don't give me this, don't give me this, don't give me this. Wasn't that in the India harsh, series? But I do the vaguely see your point. I would pick, I'd say, if Carey gets a five, I think Payne gets a seven for his 17-18 Ashes performance. But 
you can carry on with your unusual view about Tim Payne. For a first series as a keeper, it yeah, is, exactly. you've got to take that into account. You are, yeah, I, I would also just as a mitigating factor, it was his debut series, which is why I yeah. think he deserves a six rather than a five. Yeah. Oh, Whereas it wasn't Tim Payne's debut series. Okay, moving it almost on. Was. It was his first in 10 years. Well, there are Mitchell, Mitchell Stark, um, surprise packet with the bat. Um, where is he, Stark? He can't. Oh, here he is on my list 155 runs in seven innings, five games, uh, an average of 38.75 uh, with the bat. Um, and then, of course, with the ball, he was leading wicket taker right up to the end there. In the end, 19 wickets uh, in five matches uh, at an average of 25.36 ended up playing the entire series, which many didn't think he would do. Perhaps what do you think about Mitchell Stark? Uh, pretty, pretty good series. And despite the criticism, I think he had a very strong first couple of tests. Um, his batting was very impressive throughout. Uh, well documented now, but um, he's above Stokes on the all-rounder rankings. Um, I gave him an eight. I thought it was pretty, pretty good. It wasn't really groundbreaking relative to anyone else, but it was very solid. I'm giving him a nine. Uh, he, he gets a, at least a pass mark just for the first ball of the series. Um, but I thought after that, we all know he's a, he's a great bowler with the new ball, but he showed signs that he's, you know, becoming quite dangerous with the older ball too. In Adelaide, I think in the first innings, he, he picked up quite a few and uh, he had more consistency than he has uh, in previous summers. Yeah, I, I actually agree with Ted on this one. I think you have to give him a nine. Because I think when you compare it to others, he was one of the more dependable bowlers of the series. I thought, yes, he had a couple poor innings in Sydney and Hobart, but I thought he was key in setting the tone with the ball. Of course, he took the wicket off the first ball of the series and was consistently removing openers in all of the first three tests. And of course, his batting was key at times. Like there were many instances in this test, in this series, mm. where Australia were six down without having put a massive total on the board to have batted England out of the game. And consistently, he was able to put on a 50 plus run partnership for that ninth wicket. And I, th or 10th wicket, actually, wouldn't it? No, ninth, ninth wicket, or eighth. I don't know. I can't count. But my point is, he was very key with the bat. And set the tone of the ball, therefore he must be a nine. I'm not sure it must. I think if I could give an eight and a half, I would. Um, uh, Manus Labashane gave an eight, second leading run scorer, Mitchell Stark, second leading wicket taker. He did have that influence with the bat, which is probably what would have to push him up to a nine for me. Um, I mean, I'm just going to go back and look at this list to see how many England players ended up making more runs with it. Oh, it's more, more than I thought about. Was it five English batsmen scored more runs than Mitchell Stark? Certainly wasn't that many when we were entering the last test. So I uh, must have had a fall away there. But, uh, yeah, I'd have to go for a nine and pretty impressive considering the pressure that was on him um, entering this series. Okay, the captain is up next, Patrick Cummins. Uh, why not start with the bat? 72 runs at 14.40 uh, in five innings. And then with the ball, the leading wicket taker the, for the third consecutive time in a Nashville series, four matches, eight innings, of course, missed that game in Adelaide, uh, 21 wickets at 18.04 with a five-wicket haul. What do we think for the Australian captain? I gave Cummins nine, I think, leading wicket taker. He's actually been leading wicket taker in every Ashes series he's played in. Um, and, yeah, started off the series well with a, a five-par. Uh, I think it was pretty solid throughout. I think his batting is a little bit of a, a letdown, but he's, he's been shifted down to number nine where he belongs. 
um, be a very good showing with the ball. Yeah, I'm going a nine also. In the first series as captain, there might have been some some questions over whether he, whether he could cope with it. And largely, while we all might bemoan the fact that uh, he doesn't um, do follow-ons, but I think that's more just a, a symptom of, you know, where cricket, cricketing philosophy at, at the moment, not just him personally, but overall I thought his captaincy was good also. So that probably gets him the extra point um, above the eight for his bowling. I stuck with an eight for Pat Cummins. I think he was one of the better bowlers of the series quite clearly. But I also don't think he was as he didn't. He certainly didn't reach the peaks that I thought he did in England in 2019. And I think he would have deserved a nine. I thought his batting was a bit of a letdown, which doesn't give him the bonus point like Stark. And I thought while his captaincy was consistently solid, there were multiple big decisions in the series, particularly regarding declarations and follow ons that he got wrong which I think did in many ways cost Australia that 5-0 in Sydney. So I don't think I can give him a nine. So I'll give him an eight, but it was a very positive eight. Yeah. One thing, if I could just just add something to support Pearson there, actually. Um, uh, the He probably, he had opportunities this series to really stamp out, to, to stamp what uh, form of captaincy he was going to have and to really maybe take Australia in a new direction or, or show some creativity with his captaincy. And all, all the times he didn't really take that. He, you kind of felt like he just went with, you know, the, what the team, what the coaches would probably have said. So maybe a, a missed up. I would have liked to see some kind of personal uh, decision-making there, but, uh, you know, you, you can't mark him down too much for that. You want to moderate your rating down to an eight to agree with me then? <laughs> well, no, I, I'll still stick just, with the nine, but it would have okay. been a 10 otherwise. Maybe. It's oh, a bit of an Ashes fun. central tradition there. I think Teddy kind of going on to agree with Pearson's point, despite initially disagreeing with him. Um, I guess a few points on that. Number one, the declaration point. Yes, it's frustrating. I really think that's the Langer and the coaches staff who is dictating those decisions. A lot of the fielding decisions and stuff made on the ground. I really think Stephen Smith's behind a lot of that from the slips cordon. And Prabs, how on earth can you rank Patrick Cummins ahead of Mitchell Stark? I do not understand that. I'm going with an eight with Pearson as well. Uh, Mitchell Stark certainly had the better series for all the good. And in person, you're good at these stats. I'd be very interested to know how many of Pat Cummins' wickets were tail-enders versus Stark because, uh, well, he got the last two wickets, right? That's the only reason he's the leading wicket-taker because he, a couple of England batsmen decided to be idiots. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> No, you got a response to that, Prabs? Why did Cummins have a better series to be than Stark? You could say Rory Burns decided to be an idiot on the first ball of the series. Yeah, but he's a specialist but, 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 batsman. Yeah, the, the point would be made. Stark dominated certain specialist batsmen. I don't think Cummins had a stranglehold over an individual batsman. In 2019, he had a stranglehold over Joe Root. Root won the battle this time. Bit, albeit not on captaincy, but on bat versus ball, he probably did. So I, th I think you have to give it to Stark as the better of the two. But I, thought, I mean, Cummins still had a very good series. We are dishing out quite a high score with an eight anyway. I think that that over in Sydney where he, he took the two wickets of Bairstow and someone else there, um, uh, that's almost... That, oh, that, that, the that was easily the, the best one. over of the series, but you also yeah. didn't win that game, which I no. think... Does, not does place slightly. a lot of emphasis. Not his, his, not his fault. The ICC is getting some money under the table from England to, you know, blame bad light and have a small <laughs> well, spin. There was no it. bad light at all. There, it was rain. Would you money under the table for the slow overrides? But either way, 
regardless of the rain, you should have won that test. And I think a portion of the blame must be attributed to Pat Cummins there. Which is well, we would have if we could bowl pace in the last two overs. Then. <laughs> That's the no one bad thing about Cummins today's taken a wicket. Like... His strike rate was well above sixty in that innings. So I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced by that one. The one the one bad thing about this podcast I don't have access to a mute button today, which is uh, pretty <laughs> costly considering these two are carrying on. Okay, Scotty Bond, a bit of a cult hero um, in this series. Uh, Twenty four runs with about ten not out. The high score fifty set. Uh, so was that? Oh yeah, for, sorry. <laughs> Average is. Uh, <laughs> Well, we remember that great night watchman innings, I guess you can say, down there in Hobart. And with the ball, despite only playing three games, a third leaders, we can take 18 wickets at 9.55, including five wicket all man of the match down in Melbourne. Perhaps Scotty Bond. Yeah, well, they say a sign of the good all round is that your batting average is higher than your bowling average. <laughs> he's got a batting or average, a batting average of 12 and a bowling average of 9.6. So he is Australia's all rounder at number 11. He's now higher on the bowling rankings than Jofra Archer, and I give him a 10 for this series. I think everything he's touched from that turn to gold. I think he was, if anything, more line and length than Josh Hazelwood's been, um, and he's proven that he's he's not just an MCG specialist, and he's managed to usurp both Michael Neeser and Jairus Sutton in the pecking order. So massive tick for him. I've given him a 10. I think it's pretty, it's pretty much perfect. Yeah, I don't care what Pearson says about not giving 10s. You've got to give him a 10. You know, he took over our, our bowling um, attack after in, in Melbourne and then Sydney also. He was he was the strike bowler. Uh, and I think also a cult hero. You, you can't underestimate the importance of cult heroes in teams. You know, we've had David Boone in the past, um, Brad Hogg, all these sorts of people. <laughs> they build, you know, interest and, uh, you know, camaraderie around the Australian team. So, uh, you know, that gets gets you definitely a 10. I mean, I th- I, I, I'm not giving him a 10. I'm giving him a nine. I thought he was quite clearly excellent, but for two reasons, I'm not willing to give him a 10. One, in terms of circumstance, two of the three games that he played were after the series result had been decided. And, That's the, not his other main, and the other main reason is Travis Head is my man of the series. And if he only gets a nine, then it wouldn't work for the sake of consistency to give Boland a better result than I would head. Because I don't know. Sorry, really, why don't we give 10s? He was brilliant. One, if it's relative again. to other players, you have to give a 10, right? It's not I relative know, to I your expectations. I think, I, think, I think he was the second best player of this series behind Travis Head, yeah. possibly third so nine. Harris, Head so has therefore, 10, right? all three have to take a nine for me. I thought they were the three standouts. And I don't, I don't think anyone is perfect. I didn't think your best player the of the series, series didn't get a 10. No. I don't, you don't wait, understand how the segment again. works. Wait, say that again. You're not giving him a head a 10. No, I don't think anyone deserves a 10. I don't think any player that's in the entire series was perfect. I thought overall... No, that's not what it means. Okay, we're moving quality, on here. So I'm not I'm so, not willing to give out a 10. I thought he was excellent, Scott but only a 9. A seven wickets at the MCG, seven wickets at the SCG, and then four in his last test match. As I think it was Teddy or perhaps who said everything he touched turned to gold. Um, that, that's a pretty good line there. Uh, I don't think we can go it, past yeah. it. Perhaps uh, what a dream opening test, uh, opening series rather. Scott Bond, interesting to see what his future um, with the side is. And Nathan Lyon, I believe, is last in our list. We're not including Michael. Uh, I always get it wrong. Neeser as <laughs> Ty Richardson because uh, I only played the one uh, and two tests. Okay, we finish off. Not as said, with... Should be added to that list. 
correct. Yes, thank you. Nathan Lyon uh, with the ball, five matches, ascending 16 wickets at 23. That put him at fifth on the wicket-taking list and in the run, 76 of them, high score of 31, uh, and the average is 25.33. What do we think of Nathan Lyon series? A hard one for me to judge. Same for you guys. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make reading out those uh, those batting numbers because I did sort of forget about his taking down of Mark Wood at, at Hobart. Mm-hmm. I might have to factor that into my rating. But no, I had a I had a seven for, for Nathan Lyon. I thought it was solid. I think most Australians feared that we'd have a repeat of last summer where he'd be sort of ineffective. He wasn't looking great in the Shield games, but he finally got wicket number 400. And I think even if he wasn't, you know, he didn't have a great bowling strike rate, wasn't looking super dangerous, he managed to tie up an end and keep things tight and allow us to attack from the other end. So I thought tidy series from line, given the seven. Yeah, I'm going one lower with a six. Uh, you you expect bowlers like Lyon to, you know, to hold up an end in the first innings uh, and then, you know, most of the time to provide something different in the second innings. And he did that in Brisbane with a five for, uh, and in, to some extent in Adelaide. But I think there were just times in this series where he didn't even look like taking a wicket uh, didn't really offer too much. He was just sort of out there. Sometimes we looked even hesitant to bowl him. Uh, so I, th- I thought he had some, had some poor moments and was only just above what you would expect a spinner to be. I, I have to agree with Ethan on this one and give him a seven as well. I didn't think it was his greatest series by any means. I actually thought it was an improvement on the 2019 Ashes, however, where he only had one great test. I thought he did his main job of containing the opposition and keeping the bowlers fresh very, very well. The only reason I don't feel I can give him any higher than a seven is he never performed to the extent that he should have been bowling a team out in the fourth innings. I know that's not necessarily the type of bowler he is, but I think for the quantity of overs that he bowled in Adelaide and the quantity of overs that he bowled in Sydney, he possibly didn't do as much fourth innings damage as you would have liked. His batting was fine, but hardly groundbreaking. He is a number 10. I don't think it plays a role. So seven for me. Bit of a seven with a lot of criticism on the end of it. Uh, and sorry, Teddy, you're on your own on this one. It is a seven uh, the judges have decided. Um, I mean, you look at where he is in the wickets list, and correct me if I'm wrong, he didn't bowl a ball at Hobart. So he essentially played four of the five matches and still was able to put up those kinds of figures. Um, so I would absolutely think it has to be a seven. And that concludes um, our ratings of the Australian side. Surprisingly, not a large amount of um, disagreement. I wouldn't say there was any. I think we were all one apart, really, for the whole thing. Um, I think there could have been one player where we had three different options. But otherwise, for now, some uniformity. We'll see how we go <laughs> as we progress onwards. What I thought we'd do now is have a look at our pre-Ashes uh, predictions. Um, doesn't make for great viewing. I should warn you from the off. Um, everyone picked Australia, obviously. Nobody had four. We had eight experts or so-called experts at least in to give us their predictions and nobody was able to to predict a four to nothing scoreline. Prabs, congratulations to you. Uh, You and I were the only two to predict that that, uh, Pat Cummins would lead the series in wickets taken. Uh, Some geniuses. In fact, I think some people here. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) what a great Pearson Lynch thought it was uh, someone who only played one test match in uh, Josh Hazel. I, I so maintain that went he down stayed well. fit for the series, he would have been leading wicket-taker by the end. I think that's slightly unfair 
to suggest oh, that because he got say. injured, my call was terrible. He was excellent. That's, that's in that the rules. Yeah. Typical for, for English people to pick weak weak players who get injured. Yeah, <laughs> mentally weak, in fact. Um, Teddy, extremely hard. You were too oh, you were too slow to get in your pick, so you didn't feature in the yeah. uh, predictions article. But now you can just claim that you had all the correct answers. Obviously, no one had um, no one had Travis head. I'm just looking at some of the predictions, the bold predictions we made. Pearson, uh, Ollie Pope to lead England in runs scored. <laughs> Uh, Here we go. Check. Let's see how that one went. So we got Root, then Milan, then Stokes, then Bairstow, then Crawley, then Wokes, then Butler, then Wood, then Hamid, and way down here on 67 runs at 11.16. Oliver Pope, despite his 99 average at the Oval or whatever it is we keep hearing about. Uh, Your thoughts on that one, Pierce? Yeah, it, it didn't work out. I must admit, when he was on 34 not out in the first innings at the Gabba, I actually thought we'd have a series in which you'd pretty much never get him out the whole time. Then he top-edged a ball off Cam Green that he shouldn't have played at, and the series really went downhill from there. He was far too frenetic, so he didn't. Went from being a potentially great call to a pretty terrible call now that he's been dropped from the side. And Pearson, uh, excuse me, Ethan went with one that was actually common. I think two or three of our experts selected it, that Jaya Richardson would outperform Stark or Stark would be dropped someone had. Um, also didn't go so well when he's the second leading wicket taker and a star with the bat perhaps. Well, yeah, I think Stark's proven everyone wrong. Anyone who's, who's doubted him, including Shane Warne. So if you can turn Shane Warne's opinion, you can you can turn anyone's opinion. <laughs> Jaya Jai was, was all right. He, he took a five from that second in Adelaide. I did expect him to play more than he did, but who would have thought Cal Piero, Scott Boland would show up? Um, but yeah, very, very impressive from Stark. And my prediction wasn't so great either. The series would still be alive entering Hobart. So uh, England would have a chance to uh, tie the series entering Hobart. Um, I thought Pearson would like that one since I was least optimistic in, in, the, in the English uh, uh, camp, but it uh, didn't quite happen. Pearson, I think I felt as soon as the, about one one ball in when, when Burns went out, you <laughs> oh, felt that that sure. uh, wasn't going to come I through. I thought 5-0 after one ball. Although I will say to commend myself to make up for the Ollie Pope call, my 3 nil oh, series prediction actually wasn't miles off. I predicted Brisbane... Hang on, no, no. It was 2-1 originally, and then it went to 3 I edited, but that was prior to the series beginning, so it still counts as my final it's prediction. your word against it. You can and change how... it as much as you want before the series starts. And if Brisbane had rained as much as we all thought it would, it would no, have No, but then you changed hell. it again. After Brisbane, you said 4-1. Exactly, 4-1. Okay, that that look that was a separate call. That was more a call of oh, the backtracking than it just was started. expectation. I must admit, it's the backtracking has started here. Uh, we'll do England player ratings and then our moments of the series and our best innings of the series, and we'll wrap it up. So, English, we've talked about our. We, we, we haven't been below five for many with the English, with the Australians. I bet you we'll have some below five ratings uh, with the English. It all kicks off with Rory Burns, 77 runs in th- three matches, six innings, an average of 12.83. Um, oh, gee, a couple of ducks, not much else to say there. Uh, same order as last time, Prabs, Teddy Pearson. Uh, how are we rating Rory Burns? Yeah, I think I'll be dishing out a, a few ones. Uh, over the cross of this batting lineup, and I think you've got to start with Rory Burns. It all started; it, it went wrong on the first delivery of the of the series, and it, it didn't really go right at any stage. He, he managed to be um, dropped and then come back into the side, um, and shows with that the, the horrible performances of their openers that nothing really was consistent except their failures. Um, and so, yeah, one for me. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go at two, um, only because later I'm going to be giving Hamid a one. And I think Burns was a little bit better than, than Hamid, you know, just in at least at least he, he tried to, to grit it out in a few innings and made a few runs, even if it didn't look pretty. Uh, and he's but, still uh, mad. Yeah, a two. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree. I have to give Burns a two. And for a similar reason, I don't think he was our worst batsman. And I think our worst batsman derives a one. I thought Burns at least showed at times that he had some sort of method to score runs. I actually thought he looked acceptable in that second innings at Hobart. And of course, he was part of the opening stand that shared the highest opening stand of the series. Which, granted, that doesn't say much, but it was, he top scored in one of our innings with his 34 in Adelaide Ooh, fourth innings, which is more an indictment on our batsman than anything else. But I think he did just enough to get rid of the one and get a two, although he didn't set the tone well with his first ball dismissal in Brisbane. No, I think you two have gone mad. It's a, it's a certified one. Um, no more needs to be said on that one. Prabs and I are in the right. Let's move to, you mentioned him, Hamid. Uh, uh, where is he? He scored more runs. Yeah, what is he? Uh, to a lesser average. 80, 80, 80 runs. 10. Yeah, at 10. It's not that much. Two less than Burns. And an even slower um, strike rate with no avenue to score runs. This is test cricket. Chuck that out the window. Prabs. Oh, strike rate has it. it shows an indication of whether you're capable Even of that scoring. That mute right button now. right now, Prabs. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think everyone's going to give Hamid a one. It was just um, dreadfully disappointing all round. Nothing could get going. I think in the first test, he showed some signs of promise that at least he could bat balls, but it just went downhill from there. And look, you don't even really need to look at the stats for Hamid. You just look at how he's batting. He's out of his depth in test cricket. Um, so that's got to be a one or a zero if we could give a zero. Well, I, I, I mean, I very nearly gave him a zero, but I think his performance in Brisbane was one of our better banning performances of the series. I think his series did fall apart when he nicked off down the leg side on what looked a very well compiled 27 or 56 in that second innings at Brisbane. So I think that gets him off the zero, but the fact that he then didn't make double figures again after that game has to give him a one. I thought he was the worst batsman from either side all series. Well, Rory Burns only played three tests. So if he played more, he would average less than Hamid. Uh, I'm giving no, him a one, really. Hamid. Because we um, saw Burns score runs in his return to the side, at least more runs than any of the others did. He scored 28, which is his last two innings in the series were, well, two of his last three innings in the series were higher than any scores scored by Hamid all series. So I think it would be unfair nobody does, to give them... No, nobody does cherry-picking better than you. Okay, I'm going to agree. It's certainly a one. Let's move on from that. Zach Crawley. Uh, where is he? The, f- the fourth high-scoring English batsman. 166 runs at 27.66. Remembered for that 77. Uh, what do we think, gentlemen? Crawley. Um. Crawley's a tough one. I think he's, he's miles clear of any other England opener. I thought he, he looked pretty good. He's got shots, which is why um, I was hopeful about his selection. Um, I, I've got six listed, but I, that might be on the harsher side. I thought he, he was good without being great. And it's sort of hard to make any sort of name to yourself in this um, losing English side. But I think a, a six overall. I'm going to go a seven. Um, 
I thought from the minute he came into the team in Melbourne, uh, but then really coming to fruition in Sydney, he brought a new level of aggression and, you know, panache that the other batsmen didn't have that was sorely needed. And, you know, if, if he had played the full series, we could have seen some better performances. Yeah, I, I said earlier on in this podcast that three England players enhanced their reputation this series. I think one of those is Zach Crawley. And I will also give Zach Crawley a seven. I thought he imp- he showed some impetus. He actually imposed himself on Australian bowlers better than possibly any other batsman did all series among the English. I thought his 77 off 100 was probably the most fluid innings from either side, except for that head century in Hobart. I thought he also off the pitch showed the mentality that we would like to see from England batsmen in which he said, we shouldn't fear these bowlers. And these are bowlers you can score runs against, which of course, when he came out and then he did 77 a day later, he proved. So yeah, I think a seven is a fair score for him in what was a dismal performance by the whole team, which stops him from going any higher. Seven was my initial thought. And then I, but I thought about it and I don't want to start a fight here, but you said this is relative to the other batsmen in the series, right? And he averaged less than David Warner and Stephen Smith, who received far lower. I still... It's also relative to the other batsmen in your own side, though. And I think because he outperformed his own side so much, he was facing so a, it's, different it's a different bowling 10. attack than It's Australia a different was. 10 to the but you, get, you get too caught up on averages as well, Vass. You know, this was... He, he Gee, brought I'm sorry, something... I care about how many runs they made. It's you? not only about that, though. He brought something to the team that no other batsman did. And, I, and, and there, is, there is some degree of runs relative to expectations. So James Vince is the is, best player we've ever is, seen. Yes, he, he averaged nice less than Warner. It. Yes, he averaged less than Smith. But he wasn't expected to average a score on par with them. Ah, so it's based on I expectations. Think, I think that, kind of that also does make some degree of difference. Yeah. I think if you bring a player in averaging 60 and he averages 30, that's a worse performance than a player that averaged 11 in the last year, averaging 28. So For I the record, I still am giving him a seven, so don't get too angry. Well, thank you Three for that. Three sevens I'll, and I'll, a I'll six with Prabs. Oh, our favourite. David Milan is up next. The second leadest, leading England run scorer, not saying very much, went out all 10 occasions. 244 runs at 24.4. Even I can do that, Maths. Uh, perhaps what are we thinking? Um, I put five for Milan. I think, again, it might be a little bit harsh, but it is similar series to Warner, really, in that he started strong and then he tailed away at the end. I think the last probably three tests, he was almost non-existent. Um, and he didn't really reach the same heights as, as Warner's 90s. And so while he was the shining light with Root in the first two tests, I think you, you put the series as bang average for Milan and give him a five. And I, I was almost going to give him a seven, but, you know, probably more like a six. Jeez, <laughs> and, that's um, going mad. I must admit, when I saw your facial expressions, I thought you were leaning more towards a two or a three than a seven. But <laughs> it wasn't I, that I, I, bad. <laughs> He played, he played some good innings uh, yeah. in, in Brisbane and Melbourne. And the thing, you know, when he's at the crease, he at least looks like he's a chance of making runs. I think he got worked out a little bit. I think it was about three times he got out um, to, to leg slip, uh, something he needs to work upon. So he kind of lost that mini battle throughout the series. But he's, you know, back in terms of in reference to the other players, he's by no means, um, you know, a culprit for, for their batting really in this season. Yeah, I, I, I gave him a six to stick with pretty much the general precedent. I thought he was our best batsman in the first two tests. I thought 
he scored two very good quality 80s that looked as good as any run scored by pretty much anyone in those first two tests. I agree he did then drop off quite significantly after that point, and there was clearly a technical fault exposed. But I would also mention that you look at someone like a Cam Green, who I rated a five for his batting, I think Milan performed at a slightly higher level despite the lower average. Because I do know Cam Green hit a 33 not out at one point, which did help his average to some degree. So I think a six is probably fair. He was an average player, but slightly above average for England. Hence what did six. you give David Warner, Pearson? I gave David Warner a six as well. And I think okay. they were both around second or okay. third best batsmen for their sides. No, I, I can I can get on board with that. I gave Warner a five, and I'm giving Milan a five too. I think similar to Preps, and I think the Warner point is pretty true. Uh, Warner did go ahead, but I think both. I mean, almost coming to the series, I almost would have said Milan needs a hundred to pass because that was what he achieved in the last series. But considering the way the team crumbled around him, no one really made any runs. I think he did enough to um, achieve it. But he's got a pass, but it's only because of how poor everyone else was around him. I guess it is how I would word it. Uh, next up. Big one, captain, Joe Root, the leading run scorer for England in the series, the third leading run scorer, over, excuse me, run scorer overall, 10 innings. Uh, what is that? 322 runs at, again, I can do the mass, 32.2. Um, 350s, but that elusive ton, not there again in an Australian tour. Perhaps Joe Root. Yeah, I thought he, he started solidly uh, I think he's got 50s in the first three tests. He looked England's best batsman until probably Johnny Bairstow so hit his 100. I gave him a six. I thought it was, it was all right. He needed a 100 to really shine, I think. Um, I'm not sure how much the, the captaincy is, has factored into people's scores here. Um, but one interesting thing is that England gained four World Test Championship points for their draw in Sydney, and they lost eight for slow over eight. So they finished the series with a negative deficit. Um, but yeah, I think six for root overall. So they may as well have forfeited. Yeah, just not forfeiting would have been better. Like you suggested with our white ball team before this podcast started. Oh, I should have. <laughs> anyway, go on, Teddy. Um, I'm going to give him a seven. I thought he looked beautiful in Brisbane, Adelaide, and then the first innings of Melbourne. Then after that, he obviously trailed off. But I think some of that can go down to the fact that, you know, the, the outside talk, talk about his captaincy uh, and the fact the series is already lost. So probably in, in terms of just his rating, I would go a seven. Yeah, I, I gave him a six. I thought in the first three tests, he was probably the best batsman on the pitch from either side. I know he didn't always have the run output to prove it, but you compare it to the other top scorers at that point in time of someone like a Warner who got dropped twice and Marnus who got dropped four times. Root was never dropped in those opening three tests. So while the run output was less, I did think he was by far our most competent batsman. I do think he clearly tailed away, which is why I think batting alone, he deserves maximum a seven, but I thought his captaincy was poor. I thought, although it largely is a, selector and coach's choice i didn't think we picked the right teams i think some of that reflects badly on him i thought the best intensity we showed in the field the entire series was the hour in which he wasn't on the pitch and stokes was captaining in the second innings in adelaide so i think a six is probably fair as one of our better players but not close to the standards he would give himself and terribly captain for large parts of the series yeah, Teddy, I must remember to stop taking mouths of water when you start opening your mouth because we've heard some absolute just 
bonkers statements from you today. Uh, I think a six is good. I agree with Ethan. Um, and I keep that say Tim, but it's not as Pearson Lynch on Tim's account here. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what you're on about, Teddy. But yeah, it, it's a six. Needed that hundred to push any higher than that in the series. Um, just wasn't able to get it there. And again, as Pearson says, captaincy did let him down uh, in this series. Okie dokie. Up next, Benjamin Stokes. Um, <laughs> sorry, trying to find the third leading run scorer for England, 236 runs. At, again, 23.6. That's going out in all 10 innings. Another one with two uh, 50s, no tons. What are we giving uh, as far as ranking is concerned for Stokes? A uh, hard one to score, really, because at times he looked one of the more competent batsmen, but you look at the series and you say, you know, drastically underwhelming. I think he tried to sort of get himself into the series by batting balls when his job was to score runs. Um, I gave him a, a three overall. I think he was very disappointing, the same way Smith was disappointing for Australia. And his bowling is also notably poor um, in, in all the stats there. He had a high economy and didn't really take much wickets. You know, that has something to do with the, the captaincy, but um, overall, I think it was a poor series in Stokes with that and ball. I'm going a five for Stokes. Uh, with the exception of the two innings in Sydney, it was pretty poor with the bat and also pretty poor with the ball. You can give him a little bit of uh, ground that it was because he's coming off an injury. But I thought, you know, as probably the second most experienced player in the team, you expect a bit more for him there. Yeah, I, I debated for a while in my head, actually, between a four or five. I think his bowling was poor, but I also think he bowled as well as one can to the plan that was set for him. I thought that was dreadful captaincy. I still think he carried out orders there fairly well. And I think he was, of anyone in an individual test, I think Bob Bairstow, he was probably had the best batting performance in a test match of anyone with his twin fifties in Sydney, which I think does boost his score. I think relative to expectations, it probably is, not as good as you'd like so maybe a four but I also think there's some degree of mitigating factor in that he was coming off the back of no match practice for six months and an injury that meant he couldn't train until November so I'll, I'll give him a four but if I could give him a four and a half I most certainly would agree with Prabs three we're yet to disagree on this team uh moving on no more needs to be said ah Mr Pope is up next um, didn't quite get that double hundred Pearson was predicting. And where is he? Way, well, well down on the runs. The 67 in his uh, six innings. That's an average of 11.16. Uh, and, well, that's it, really. Did a bit of keeping along the way. Um, Prabs, over Pope. Yeah, well, I wish I could give him bonus marks for his keeping. I, I gave him one uh, overall because I, I, I can understand Burns and Hamid failing. It's very hard to bat against the new ball against this Australian attack but at number six that, that's quite a you know a cozy position most of the time the ball's sort of worn itself out a little bit and normally that's where you you want your sort of counter-attacking batsman to come in and score some runs Pope didn't manage to do that at all and he failed most of the time he looked horrible against Nathan Lyon so uh, give him a one overall yeah, I'm going a one also, you know, arguably with Hamid almost looked the worst batsman out there. And for someone who's so highly touted, you know, you keep hearing things about, you know, how 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 nice he, he can look to bat, but well, it just only from Pearson. 
Or well, even from most of English and Australian media. Remember, he got a yeah. medallion from the New South Wales Premier for being the best foreign batsman they'd ever had in New South Wales when he was 19. So he does have pedigree in trust this <laughs> He scored a thousand runs at an average of about 200 for his grade cricket side. Yeah. Man averaged 11 and we're still talking about his here. great stats. But it does, it does suggest that, that I'm not the Friends, only person out there that button, rates for God's sake. <laughs> does have the, the highest first class average in the history of cricket. So clearly there's reason to And guess what it. that means? Ball. Teddy, please go on. No, oh, no. Well, I was just going to say, I think it was the first innings in Adelaide, the dismissal to Lyon was one of the poorest dismissals in the series, just got completely bamboozled by him, which for, you know, how good, Line is as a bowler. He's not really someone who normally bamboozles you. So it, it, it was quite a poor series from him. I, I, I gave him a two. I think he was far and away the best wicketkeeper we saw all series. And that's why he doesn't get a one. He took some excellent catches and was, and was very, very yeah, clean behind Christ. the stumps. I also think as a mitigating factor, he was one of only two batsmen in Brisbane to show any degree of resistance in that first innings and look quite accomplished in doing so, which is why, like Burns, I don't think he was at a Hamid level. I don't think he was exceptional by any means. I mean, that is why I'm only giving him a two. But I think overall, with his impact, he probably deserves a two. I think he was also poorly messed about by the coaching. I saw an article came out yesterday that he attempted to fly his Surrey coach over from London because the coaching staff in the England side refused to work on the technical faults he wanted them to. So I don't think things were set up particularly well for him. But yeah, two is all I'm willing to give him. Well, if there ever was a one, that was it. If he batted up the top order like Hamid had to do for four tests or whatever it was, you know, he wouldn't be doing anyway. He wouldn't be doing as good as Hamid had done. Anyway, okay, we're going to move on now, but that's absolute rubbish. <laughs> Next is Johnny Besto. Someone we might get with a with a good score here. Um, fourth leading England run score despite only playing two tests, 113 helped that up in Sydney, 194 runs overall at 48.50 with the ton. Perhaps, as Pearson likes to call him, YJB. Yeah, I think he showed us how you're supposed to bat at number six, which makes Pope's efforts even worse. I went with eight, I think. You could go eight, eight or nine, but I think it was a fabulous hundred. Um, hoping someone puts that as innings of the series. Um, and yeah, he, he was the shining light, really. That that moment will, will live long in the memories of uh, England fans. And I think for that reason, he's just got to get an eight. Uh, I'm going a nine. I think he almost did as much as he possibly could do uh, with the bat in Melbourne, even showed some some good signs. And then that innings in Sydney was was brilliant. Uh, under adversity with a sore, sore finger, not playing the, the next test also. It was uh, yeah, a great series. Well, great two tests. <laughs> And I've said there were three England players who enhanced their reputation. The first was Crawley, second is Bairstow. I would give Bairstow an eight for this performance. I think that ton was possibly, well, alongside the draw, the only feel-good moment England really had all series, particularly with bat in hand. I thought he looked accomplished with the bat in both innings in Sydney in particular. I think he was that was one of the best performances by a batsman in a test all series. I thought Melbourne, he showed some fight in his 35, although it did conform to his general method of just getting starts and going out. 
And then he did fail in the next innings, but so did everyone when we all went out for 68. So I think an eight is fair. He was probably, well, at least with the bat, he was the shining light of this England side in his two tests. Teddy, welcome back from Looney Land. Your nine is correct. Um, absolutely. The first <laughs> innings of that test in at the MCG, I, I really enjoyed that 35. It was a good gritty innings. Uh, and I, perhaps, I mean, you can pick it as innings of the series if you want. I mean, there's a few to choose from on the Aussie side, but it was by far the best um, from the English side. What, what grit, what character, someone who... Uh, you know, um, they wouldn't pick in the side early on for some miserable man called Pope. Suddenly comes in and outperforms him. Um, this is a no-brainer. time in his career. But, yeah. It's a nine. No Sorry, are we rating him on his career or are we rating him on where did this use? Well, all I'm saying is this idea that Bairstow should have been picked in the first test is all good in hindsight, but prior to the series, you wouldn't have picked Bairstow in the squad, let alone in the 11. It was a controversial call. And it paid so off gave, the one you know, good Bairstow selection eight. call we had all year. And Rooten eight also, correct? Wait, say that again? Did you give Bairstow and Root both eights? No, I gave, I've only given out one eight so far. I okay, gave right, yeah. no, Bairstow an eight, Crawley a seven, Root a six. Yeah, and there you go. So okay. Far, Next up on our list, Joss Butler. And where is he? Here he is. Four tests, eight innings, 107 runs at 15.28. Um, perhaps, Mr. Butler. Yeah, I think with Butley trying to score him relative to, to Kerry, I think it was underwhelming with the bat, although he did have that great knock in the second innings in Adelaide, which although he didn't score many runs, I think he batted over 200 balls. Um, I think if you looked at innings that weren't a century, that would certainly be up there. Um, but the, the biggest really talking point with Butler is he's catching, he dropped key catches and he probably um, conceded more runs than he, even if he averaged 50, he might have hoped to score um, so, yeah, I've given him a four. I'm going to go a four as well, probably just below par. His keeping wasn't terrible for the, for the whole time. And same with his batting, he showed some signs. But really, he's just not the long-term keeper um, and time to move on. Yeah, incredibly, I think we have consensus here. I'm also going for a four. I thought, although I said after the Sydney test he'd had as good of a series as Carey, which considering the differences between the two sides probably made Butler's marginally better. But I think Carey clearly ended up as the better keeper of the series with a couple good catches and that great inning, well, great accomplished innings, perhaps is a better word, in Hobart. I thought Butler was subpar with the gloves. He dropped a lot of catches he shouldn't, although he did hold catches he shouldn't have caught. I thought his batting was very, very inconsistent. He had that good second innings in Brisbane and he battled well in Adelaide. But I think the key thing to mention with Butler is he is there because along with Root and Stokes, he is part of the leadership group in this England side. And he did anything but show leadership skills. He was silent behind the stumps. He said after the Adelaide test that the way England can win to his team in a team meeting was to be patient. Then in the first innings at Melbourne, hoiked one to Cal Corner and got caught just before tea. I think he proved what a lot of people have thought for a while now. He's probably not a test quality keeper. With the amount of hype that surrounds him, it was an underwhelming series before. A few points. One, Teddy, we, we should have gone for that uh, countdown clock idea we were considering for this segment. <laughs> Apologies if this po uh, podcast is about 90 minutes long. Uh, I don't have the access to the mute button for P. Lynch. Uh, now, <laughs> if you thought we were finally going to have consensus on a player, 
Uh, you'd be right. I'm agreeing. It's a four. Hey, um, good job. I think, as you've all pretty much said, I mean, Pearson had him ahead of uh, had him ahead of Kerry entering that last test, but that did certainly shift the scales. Obviously, wasn't able to play that last test, um, but Kerry had a good one down in Hobart, and he's a white ball player. Let's face it. Okay, moving on to Chris Wokes. I mean, we talked a lot about in this series about well, he might have to step up with his batting in England with that bad. Um, he almost sort of did. I mean, he ended up with what? Uh, where am I? Sorry. Wokes, 146 runs, top score 44, average of 24.33. Um, just looking at it from the face, that average would be better than most of the English batsmen in six innings there. And then with the ball, yeah, under par, six wickets, uh, average of 55. Um, I think when he was in the attack, it became a bit uniform. The whole uh, attack just was kind of all a bit of a mesh of medium pace, nothing. Um, Prabs, Mr. Wokes. Yeah, I think Wokes, was, he had a very forgettable series to the point where I've forgotten to score him. Um, I think, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think a, a three might, might be a, what, what I go with. I think the, the thing with Wokes is they played him in day-night tests um, and also in Brisbane where there was a bit of movement on the green top and, and he just wasn't, a bit, he wasn't able to get you know, any movement. Um, he, he didn't look the dangerous bowler that, you know, he appeared to be in the second innings of Adelaide in 17-18. Uh, sure, his batting was good, but he was very underwhelming with the ball. And in an attack where all the English bowlers have bowled pretty well, he, he was the one bowl you'd say with Stokes probably. Um, who, it was a real letdown. Yeah, I think I'm based, I was tossing up between three and four, probably go a three. Um, you know, you know coming into the series that he's not going to blow you away with pace. You expect that you're not... You're not needing him to do that. But I thought he, he could have been more consistent with his lines that time. He didn't really build a lot of pressure with his bowling. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, with the bat, he may have he may have scored a century at Lords, but, you know, it's time to move on from, from that there. Well, I, I, I'm actually surprised. I thought you'd go slightly higher. I gave him a five, which is possibly optimistic relative to what others said. What I would say is... After the Adelaide test, he was our third highest run scorer and he showed some resistance. He showed fight that no one else could other than Joss Butler in that fourth innings in Adelaide. They shared a 33 over partnership. I think we saw he scored relatively consistent runs and at least looked comfortable. I think he looked better than most of our batsmen a lot of the time. I think we picked him at the wrong grounds. I thought he was very poor in Adelaide. I thought he was average in Brisbane. And then I think... We also saw that he's been exposed and he can't bowl to the tail particularly well. But I think that is moderated by what was a solid, if not spectacular, performance in Hobart. I think he was solid. He got good movement. He made it very hard, particularly for Kawaja to lay bat on ball for the 30-odd balls he faced for his five or so in that second innings. So I think it was a very stock-standard Wokes performance, which is why I give him a five. Confirmed everything we know about him. He's world-class at home, not very good away, and probably doesn't warrant selection. Tell you what, this episode's so long, it could do with a couple of bloody intervals at the moment. Um, look, oh, there was Once no facial... There were no facial re reactions when Pearson said that. We're all just a bit sick of the uh, ridiculous ratings now. There's no way that was a five. Um, a three is the right rating. These two are pretty much right. You just said he was better compared to the other English batsmen. That's not what we're rating him on. We're rating him we are relative to, to expectations. He's, he's a bowling all-rounder. So 33% of what you rate him on should be his batting. 
And he yeah, but not relative to the other batsmen, relative to what you expected. Perhaps you're going to oh, have really to start using this mute button. An average of 25 from my number eight was a pretty okay, good Okay, next is Mark Wood. <laughs> probably the third player that Pearson has with uh, his reputation getting better uh, after well, this correct. series. We will start with the bats. Um, gee, I can't find him. He must be down the bottom somewhere. Oh, here he is. No, he's Python. 86 runs, probably in the top half, averaging 10.75 in the series. Uh, and, of course, playing the four matches. He took 17 wickets, the, by far the most for an England bowler, at 26.64. Perhaps Mark Wood. Well, there was that, uh, that great moment where he came into the dressing room, I think, after hitting a 40-odd, and he, he, he came in and he yelled, I'm an all-rounder. Um, and I, I reckon you could almost classify him as an all-rounder in this side. He's outscored Burns, Hamid, and Pope. Um, and his bowling was also very impressive. He, he spoke in previous podcasts that he is a high economy, high average bowler. He, he takes good wickets, um, valuable wickets at a good strike rate. I mean, and I think, um, as others will mention, that he's one of the shining lights from uh, this England tour. I've given him an eight. Yeah, not, not too much more to say about that. I, would, I, I was going a nine, um, eight or nine. It's around there. But this time it's gone on so long that it's hard to argue anymore. But uh, I was very impressed with his bowling, far better than I expected it to be. And that six for um, on a pitch that, you know, probably you would have thought that it, it would have been Broad or Wokes who, who got the wicket. Um, but it was him again in Hobart. Uh, yeah, definitely a tick for him this series. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to add to this and say an eight as well. I thought he was probably the shining light of the series for us. He carried himself well. He was unlucky in the first four tests with chances not going his way. And then he made up for that with his quite impressive six. For, of course, no one took more wickets in a test than his nine in Hobart on a pitch that, as Ted said, probably didn't suit him as well as some of the others. So I think he's a dependable eight. And hopefully we get to see more of him in the future. Yep, all agreement here. It's certainly an eight. Um, felt like an eight from Mark Wood. I'm not going to go on any more about that one. Um, we will just move on to Oliver Robinson. What did he do? He played four matches, seven innings, 11 wickets with the ball at 25.54 with the bat. Gee, God, 38 runs at 5.42 and a shameful dismissal to end. Um, that was the entire series, wasn't it? Um, another one of Pearson's favourites, alongside Pope. They're not doing very well, uh, perhaps, running for Robinson. Yeah, I think England want Ollie Robinson to go to bat because arguably their strongest attack has him some, somehow at eight or, or nine. Uh, this series shown he, he can't really bat. Um, I gave him a seven because his, his bowling was, was good, but not great. You'd say fitness issues and perhaps a little bit defensive at times, but he had some great spells. Yeah, I had a had a seven also. I think sometimes commentators can be a bit harsh on him and players like him. You know, there's a role for Robinson and it's he doesn't have to be, maybe, you know, 5K's extra pace would be nice, but, you know, you don't have to have everyone as, you know, 140 plus bowlers. And he's very good at what he does. He, you know, gets a lot of movement off the pitch and he picked up wickets consistently throughout the series also. I'll, I'll add to this. I think we're about to see a spree of sevens for a lot of the England seamers from here on out, actually. And I think he was accomplished. I thought he bowled a few excellent new ball spells. He did bowl a few too many looseners at the start of spells that I wouldn't have liked to have seen. 
But when he bowled well, therefore was probably no England bowler more threatening than him. I thought he extracted more out of the pitch than most of the England bowlers. His seam movement at times was quite prodigious. At times it was too much to actually take wickets. I think his series will be marred by fitness, but I think if he can get to a stage where he's bowling 135 plus consistently, he'll be up there as one of the five best bowlers in world cricket. I mean, he averages 21 in his test career, despite being incredibly unfit. So not his greatest series, but solid again, a seven. I think it's my turn to enter Looney Land. I've got him as a five. From what Pearson told oh. me about everything I was expecting uh, from this, you know, great young man, I was pretty shattered to see that fitness had him ruled out of his second test. Um, uh, I thought he looked really test. good. in three of, fourth, sorry, oh, four fourth test. Um, yeah, but wasn't the, was the fourth test he missed? Yeah, he missed whatever it was. Um, he, I was, as you say, when he was had the ball in a good place, he was troubling the batsman pretty much more than anyone else. And particularly in Brisbane, I saw that um, he really impressed me. But I can't get that image of that last wicket out of my head. Um, and mm. from someone who, I mean, eleven wickets. He got, <laughs> I, I'm Teddy. It's my turn to enter Looney Land. A five. No, five I'm happy. Robinson. You've got. I finally got Branson someone. Clearly, was nothing special. But I don't no. think you can give a number nine a five. Yeah. You, didn't, you said he was he, he hit a 50 that shows that he could be the next all rounder for England at number eight. You know, get him in there, replace Wokes. Oh, it is and that thoroughly, just didn't oh, happen. Well, outside of England for sure. But yeah, that, that is the frustration. But I don't think that makes it a bad series for him. He's there for his bowling. He's not there. Relative to, to expectation, what I had mind. seen in wasn't the India series he did quite well earlier this year. Uh, last yeah, year. not with the bat, but with the ball. With he the ball, wasn't as good this time. Okay, if we don't move on, we're never gonna get to the end here. <laughs> Uh, who is next? It's Broad. Stuart Broad became the England's all-time leading wicket-taker in the Ashes in this series. Played four matches, seven innings, 17 wickets at 26.64. That is, uh, that's the most, oh no, sorry, I'm reading Wood's stats here, but yeah, three matches, six innings, 13 wickets at 26, rather, excuse me. Uh, Broad, and with the bat, well, that's been declining for a while, 42 runs at 30, uh, at 14, excuse me. Uh, Stuart Broad, perhaps um yeah it was it was sort of good but not great again i think england did him a disservice by using him on the wrong wicket i think uh seven is is what i'll go with he, he did take a nice spy for it at sydney when when called upon um but yeah not nothing really special yeah i went one higher with an eight thought that some of his spells throughout the series um were the best possibly from either team or at least up there um, we yeah we've spoken a lot about playing him at, at the wrong times, um, and I, I think he deserves some credit for you know while Anderson got more wickets at, at certain moments he didn't really bowl very smart at times or, or didn't bowl to a plan in, in Adelaide that you know was really threatening whereas Broad was willing to sort of change his lengths a bit uh, and play the team game a bit more. Yeah, again, I'm following my seven spree, so another seven. There's not really much to comment on. He was criminally mismanaged. He should have played the two tests he didn't and shouldn't have played the first test that he did. He looked conf he looked confident at times. He took one of only two England fifers for the series. And it was another dependable Stuart Broad performance that you'd expect of a player of his stature, the seven again. Yeah, uh, seven... I would give him a seven and a half if I could. I don't think we need to spend any more time on that one. James Anderson is up next. 
Uh, his partner in crime, three matches. Another one you could say was mismanaged. Eight wickets at 23.37. So quite a good average there with the bat. Uh, 13 runs at 6.5, but that's never been a specialty of his. Uh, perhaps Jimmy Anderson. It was a, a good series from Anderson. I think you can criticise him as the probably the, the spearhead of this attack, not being a little bit more attacking. But economically, I believe he's the only bowler to have an economy under two. He looked very, very dangerous at times. Um, and he, he sparked a couple of, I guess, mini collapses there. So I, I gave James Anderson an eight. Yeah, I, I had him as a, as a high seven, just below Stuart Broad. Uh, he, he had he got the wickets to show for it. the economy very good yet again um, just thought lacked the potency at times of, of Stuart Broad and was perhaps used a bit better than than Broad also so in comparing those two but overall I'll just say with the bowlers I thought they were actually you know underrated the whole bowling lineup um, this series it, it, we've spoken about it a lot it wasn't the bowling that was the issue it, it was the batting um, and you know Credit has to go to, to their bowling efforts. Yeah, I'll I'll carry on with my seven spree here. I thought he was very consistent. I thought his four for twenty three that he took, although it did extend to about four for forty in Melbourne, was probably the best bowling performance England had all series. He looked consistently threatening, challenged techniques, and didn't concede any runs. I don't think batting matters, although he did play out the crucial final over of Steve Smith to not get whitewashed. So I think a seven again is pretty fair. Although it is interesting to see he now has a better bowling average than in Australia in the Ashes than he does in England in the Ashes. So he's not performing terribly here, as lots of people like to suggest. Another one where I would probably give a 7.5 if I could. I'm going to give him an eight. Uh, I agree with perhaps, wasn't someone? Um I'm not sure. I think Teddy said he's got the wickets to show for it. I don't really think that. He's not got eight wickets. That's less than Broad and Robinson. He has the average obviously to show would. for it. He has the average is what the I think average, I meant to say yeah. for it, yes. Um, and we move on to one that I've been looking forward to. Um, it's not – I wouldn't say it's the best for last, but it's it's Jack Leach. Um, he has, what, three games, fouring six wickets at 53 and a half. Um and with the bat, not quite the hero as he was last. Ashes, 12, 51 runs at 12.75. Prabs, Mr. Leach. I can see Pearson urging to say that he sort of was the hero in that, that Sydney test. But um, I, I think oh, people will people will remember Leach for, for his opening spell in Brisbane, which will you know forever mark how his, his series has gone. I think he was misused the entire time. Joe didn't really give him a chance. England didn't really give them, him a chance with, his, with their use of him in previous series. Um, I gave him a, a, a three. I, I thought he probably wasn't as bad as people think. Yeah, I gave him a three as well. I think we all know that it was a pretty, pretty poor series. Just completely lost confidence after Brisbane. Worked back a little bit in the second innings of... Uh, Sydney, you know, showed that he, he has at least a bit of talent, but really not a long-term spinner going forward. Yeah, I, I'm, I'll stick with the threes here. I think a three as well. I thought he will be remembered for the 12 overs that went for 100 runs in Brisbane. I thought he was mismanaged. I thought 
we prepared for him to bowl to defensive fields, then picked an ultra-attacking field for his first spell in Brisbane, which backfired, and he never recovered confidence, and uh, Joe Root clearly never recovered confidence because we were far too defensive. I thought he acquitted himself well in the third innings in Sydney, but he clearly needs to work on his ability to contain opposition batting lineups. Although it should be said, he's got the best bowling average of any bowler in Australia, of any England spinner, since Graham Swan, and I think other than Graham Swan, the best this century. I think I'm going to have a 2.5 for Jack Leach. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I got to bump that up to a three, but um, because there's no going down from that, it wasn't quite as bad as some of those batsmen. Uh, started off horribly, as I think you've all articulated, but did have some some brighter moments later on in the series. But <laughs> Pearson says the best average aside from Swan. Well, that's a little bit ridiculous. I think that's a bit of a useless stat. Bar, all but he did bad. He kind of passed it. Yeah, but I would. It would be a better stat if he was the best overall. But he's, he's second out of what four or five decisions. That's not really a great, uh, a yeah, great yeah. stat. But um, okay, that wraps up the English side. We're getting feels like we're approaching about two hours into the show. Um, before are. we close, we are <laughs> round tables. First of all, we're going to go around uh, Prabs, then Ted, then Pearson. Your favourite innings to watch didn't just have to be the most runs or the most skillful. Your favourite innings to watch this series. Crabs up first. Oh, there's about five that jumped to mind. I've got the luxury of going first year, and I'll say Travis had first things with Hobart. When Australia was three for 12, he came in and turned the, turned the game on his head. Um, so that, that's the one for me. Oh, well, uh, yeah, that, that's what that I was going to go also. But um, and I'll leave bit best for Pearson. Uh, so yeah I'm I'm probably going to go maybe not not pick a one certain innings but the the tailwenders in in Adelaide I found that enjoyable to watch there I know Ethan did also um, but it, it kind of just summarized the series that we had just you know the level of, of dominance and you know the humiliation really for England uh, their ability to of our tail to, to perform Incredibly, I'm not going to go for the one you think I will. So I think most enjoyable was actually the Bearstow 50 in the fourth innings. I thought it showed a side of Bearstow that we've not seen in the Test Arena since 2016 when he had a groundbreaking year of 1,500 runs. I thought he took us a long way to getting a draw that we otherwise most certainly wouldn't have gotten in that test. I thought he still managed to bat relatively fluently. He carried an injury the entire way through and faced out a sizable amount of deliveries and, of course, hit a half-century. So for me, the half-century in the fourth innings was the most enjoyable to watch. Just for the record, it was a 41, but uh, he agreed 41. it was it was That's an impressive inning. I thought he passed 50. Huh. Not to yeah, well, staff. Still my favourite inning. But <laughs> I very much enjoyed the first innings. I guess um, it would be remiss not to mention uh, Usman Khawaja uh, upon his return to the test side. Uh, you know, twin tons don't happen all that often. 137 in particular in that first innings. Um, you know, Pat Cummins almost ruined it all before T, but uh, got through it. I love things. Then to come out and hit the hundred in the second innings, but I would point to it as that first innings hundred. Um, and yes, we can wax lyrical about it all we want, Pearson. But um, I think one of the good guys in cricket, Usman Khawaja, uh, and good for him to get another chance with Test cricket. And finally, moment of the Ashes, and we're going to go in reverse. I'll still go last because you know, like being hard. But we'll go Pearson, then Teddy, then Ethan, perhaps. I mean, it. The moment of the ashes has to be the moment that defines the series and will be the moment remembered 
pretty much for the rest of history, which is Burns getting bowled around his legs first ball. It may well be the most dramatic moment of Ashes cricket there's ever been. So for sure, except that dismissal was at a par with Stokes at Headingley, that four that won us that game. I think it's on par with the Geraint Jones catch in 2005 to win at Edgbaston by two runs. It wasn't out. Yes, but it was given on the field, and we only play, as you should know as an umpire, you play to what the umpires I know, but still. And that's what we did. So, yes, I I think the defining moment that will go down in Ash's folklore and was the most impressive moment of the series, certainly not the most enjoyable for me, but... I thought you were going to go with an English one. by far Burns getting bowled by Stark off the first ball. Yeah, well, Pearson's obviously being tormented by that first ball uh, on a nightly basis, it, it seems here. But he is right. It was probably the most significant moment. But I'm going to go with, and uh, I might be stealing someone else's here, but uh, six for seven, Scott Bowen uh. at the MCG really just encapsulated, uh, you know, the dominance and, and the joy for Australian fans this series. The fact that, you know, a backup bowler, someone who's, you know, it's been spoken about so much, but, uh, you know, spent years in Sheffield Shield, nowhere near the test. They were not even spoken about for him to come in and have that level of just brilliance. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, you know, one of the moments you remember for a long time. Yeah, but I hope all the, the viewers listening have signed the petition to build Scotty Boland a statue outside the MCG. Let's, let's get that going. Um, I think my moment of the series is the, probably the final session at, at Sydney where um, Cummins, gets the two wickets in and over. I think the, the in-swinger to Wood was one of the best balls I've seen just watching that live. And then it was a, a great finish to end the day. So that's my moment of the series. And of course, <laughs> I was going to go with Pearson's, then I was going to go with Teddy's, and I was going to go with Prab's. <laughs> uh, how about the way the series ended? A lovely England collapse. I mean, who doesn't love to see that? Uh, I mean, beefy, beefy Beaufort, I don't know if you saw in the triple inbox, was feeling pretty good at about two for 80 and one for 80, excuse me. And um, Prabs was declaring that England would win about none for 60, but um, one for 68, two for 82, three for 83, four for 92, five for 101, six for 107, seven for 107, eight for 115, nine for 23, and all out 124, an embarrassing dismissal for Ollie Robinson, once the golden boy of English cricket, Pat Cummins just ramming the point home there. Australia, 4-0 Ashes winners. And I think that's a good way to end off this podcast and indeed this series uh, that has covered the Ashes over the summer. Gentlemen, thanks for being with me, not just tonight, but uh, over the entire summer. It's been, well, not as much fun as I would have liked it to be, but it's it's been okay. It's been a good time filler to see us lose. Not sure I can say I enjoyed it. I'll convert you. I'll convert you on Australia's, you know, the brilliance of Australia's current team and later. Yeah, when, when we when we move for the viewers that are interested, we're going to try and do a weekly cricket podcast. And when that time comes, I hope Ted can convert me into his Australian loving ways. Although I doubt it will happen. For the record, uh, my contract does not extend to that. I will not have to appear with Pearson again in the podcast. That would just be these three. Couldn't be more thrilled. Um, Crab's always been the most polite in these shows. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It was a great time of cricket and great moments as well. Okay, and thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye for now. <laughs>